Sailorville? My name is Stephen Moore. I'm the Engage Network Church Planting Resident, and I am married to Ellen, who is the daughter of Chuck and Diane DeClean. And I will keep introducing myself that way anytime I speak at Sailorville Church, because I always feel my credibility go up in the room when I uh, mention that. So uh, it is exciting to be with you this morning. It is a very significant day for me. Uh, September 5th of 2020 is when God led me and my family to leave Northeast Iowa and come to the Des Moines area to partner with the Engage Network in planting churches. Today, just one year later, we live in the community of Huxley, and we are eagerly anticipating the launch of the next church plant in the spring of 2022. You might ask the question, why Huxley? Well, Huxley is a growing rural community that is underchurched and filled with lost people. Many Christians leave the community to attend church and worship. That doesn't make evangelism impossible, but that can make it more difficult. And there is not a strong evangelistic presence in the community. The demographics of Huxley project a community that is growing and will only continue to grow, and this means that the need for a gospel-preaching evangelistic church will only grow as well. We also believe that God has called us to Huxley. It wasn't a vision while we slept. There was no writing in the sky that led us to leave 17 years of ministry in an established church to begin church planting. But the clear, sovereign hand of God left us with no doubt about what God was calling us to do. And we feel the same way about the community of Huxley. God is calling us there to do his work. Through many days of research, uh, prayer, and seeking counsel, God has given us clarity. The endorsement of the Engage Network pastors, uh, the provision of resources and partners, and even a home for our family to live in have all been God's gracious confirmation of this decision. We believe that just as God told Paul in Acts 18, he has many people in this city. Our desire, our goal, is to launch a church in the community of Huxley through the efforts and the sacrifice of a committed core group of people. And then we want to see that church grow through evangelism and genuine conversions and baptisms. We're not just looking to be an easier, closer option for Christians who are already in good, established churches. We want to bring the gospel to the lost of our community. Now let me ask you a question this morning. Could God be calling you to Huxley? We're going to Huxley, but we're not going alone. The core group church planting model is a very successful model that God has blessed within the Engage Network. A core group of people is sent out from their local churches, and they are committed from day one to help get the new church plant off the ground. They are serving, they are working, and they are giving. Frankly, the church plant doesn't happen without that core group of people. Perhaps God could be calling you as an individual, as a couple, or as a family to be part of what he is going to do in Huxley. Would you prayerfully consider this? Would you ask how God might use you to establish this new church plant? 
but please be aware of the commitment. Let me be candid with you for a moment. We're not just looking for people who are unhappy and disgruntled with their current churches. We are looking for people who are committed to serving and sacrificing to see the kingdom of God go forward. So if you are interested in this or you feel like God may be leading you, core group applications will be sent out through a Sailorville Church email early this next week. I can encourage you to consider it, to pray, to, to talk to your pastors and your elders, and then fill out that application. In, in a week or so, I will get in contact with you about setting up a meeting, and God willing, by January 1st of 2022, we will have a core group that will begin meeting, anticipating and looking forward to the launch of the church in the spring of 2022. One year ago, God moved my family to this ministry. And by his grace and through your support and sacrifice, Lord willing, one year from today, there will be a new gospel-preaching, lost-reaching, Christ-exalting church in the community of Huxley. Amen? That was supposed to be my mic drop moment, and then I was going to walk off the stage. But uh, that was when the, the, the pitch came at the end of the sermon, and they asked me to do it at the beginning because you have communion at the end. So there's no real easy way. We're just going to grind the gears and say it's time to preach now, okay? So open your Bibles to Romans chapter 12, and it's my privilege this morning to continue on in the series that you've been in this summer, Your Questions, God's Answers. Your questions, God's answered and answers, and the question that we're asking this morning is, how do I handle being wronged? How do I handle being wronged? If you're in Romans chapter 12, please follow along as I begin reading in verse 14. Romans chapter 12, verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary... If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. Lord, as we study this text this morning, may you give me clarity of speech to communicate well the inspired truth of this text. And may your Holy Spirit do what only it can do, and make perfect application to every heart. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we get started this morning. I'd like to talk to you about unhelpful cliches. Unhelpful cliches. Have you ever lost something and somebody encouraged you with these words? Well, you know, it's always the last place you look. <laughs> Just think about that for a second. Who keeps looking for it after they've found it? 
But there are cliches that, that not only do we say in times like that, but even when we're going through things that are hard or difficult, certain cliches pop up that, that I'm not sure are really helpful. Finish some of these for me this morning, would, would you? Uh, how about this one? When the going gets tough... Oh, that's super helpful. How about this one? When life gives you lemons... What? What does that even mean? When you reach the end of your rope, tie a knot and hang on. That's a little less familiar. When you reach the end of your rope, tie a knot and hang on. Okay, unless you are an American Ninja Warrior champion, I would love to see any of us hold on to a rope and tie a knot in the end. It's always darkest just before the dawn. Forgive and forget, and of course, one of my personal favorites, just let it go. Okay, that's not a cliche, that's just frozen, but I've got a five-year-old girl, so I, I had to put that one in there. You know, here's the problem. Sometimes we start to think about truth, spiritual, biblical truth, the same way we might think about one of these unhelpful cliches. Just a couple of weeks ago, I know one of the pastors threw a, a picture up on the screen. It was that coffee mug that said, I can do all things through a verse taken out of context. You remember that? And that happens. There is a wonderful, powerful verse that has been so misused and abused that I think a lot of its significance has been lost on us. Well, what about our text today? Some of these phrases are very familiar to you. Bless those who persecute you. Repay no one evil for evil. Never avenge yourselves. Do not be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. Those are, those are things that are easy to say, but they're very hard to do. But these are not cliches. These are spiritual, inspired truths. So at the risk of sounding cliche this morning, here's the big idea that I want you to take away from this text. And hopefully you'll see that it's, it's genuinely possible. When you are wronged, by God's grace, be so right that it rubs off on the other person. Let me say that again. When you are wronged, by God's grace, be so right that it rubs off on the other person. Now, I realize at the beginning that that in and of itself sounds like another one of those cliches, easy to say, hard to do. But I hope to show you something from this text. I tried to think of a few times that I thought maybe I was, I was wronged, and there was a couple of them that came to mind. This one's a long time ago, but I remember when I was in Bible college, I got a parking ticket for a car that wasn't mine on a day that I wasn't at school. So I had this parking ticket with my name on it, showed up in my mailbox, and, and, and I found the security officer who gave it to me, and I said, I said, hey, this isn't even my license plate. I wasn't actually even here on that day. This is a mistake. And he said, there is an appeals, appeals process for all tickets. You can make an appointment with the dean of students. I said, no, wait, wait a minute. I said, I'm, I'm not going to go through an appeals process with the dean of students to get out of a ticket that was mistakenly written to me. And he looked at me and he said, with an attitude like that, you're not going to get out of the ticket. What? I remember coming up to a four-way stop one time, and I met a car about the same time, and I did the nice Iowa thing, you know, go ahead. 
And as they pulled through, I, I started to go through because, you know, they were almost through. And the car that was behind the car that I just let go, like, hits the gas and flies through the intersection and turns and looks at me and goes. And I just sat there. What, what are you looking at me for? A little more seriously, I remember a particular situation with a church member who was in crisis. And I showed up at their home and I gave them biblical counsel, counsel that I would stand by today, counsel that I believe your pastors in this church would, would stand by today. And that counsel was rejected and I was maligned and they were very angry with me for speaking the truth to them. You know, there's no doubt in my mind that many of you in this room can relate to these types of situations and maybe much, much worse. And if I could, for just a moment, I, I want to be clear on something. There may be, in some situations this morning, wrongs that you are experiencing and, and wrongs that you are suffering that should end. They should stop, biblically and legally. And if you have any doubt about the suffering that you are going through, please don't hesitate to talk to one of your pastors, to talk to a counselor about that situation. But as we look at this text this morning, I'm trying to ask the question, what should we as followers of Christ do when what we're experiencing is just the hard reality of living in a broken and fallen world? Conflict is inevitable for the Christian. Christ himself said, in this world you will have troubles and tribulation. So what do we do? And my challenge is, be so right that it rubs off on the other person. Well, how do we do that? Well, first of all, this morning, I want you to see from the text that responding right when you are wronged is an obedience issue. Responding right when you are wronged is an obedience issue. I don't know if you noticed as we read through the text, but verses 14 through 21 are just peppered with imperatives. There's imperatives and there's, there's verbal structures there that Paul uses to say 15 times in eight verses, do this, don't do that. 15 times in eight verses, he is commanding us to do or to not do things. And in the greater context of Romans chapter 12, and in the greater context of the entire book, what we see is that these actions are the marks of a genuine believer. These actions are the spiritual worship that we're supposed to offer back to God. These are the evidences of a life changed by the gospel and the indwelling Holy Spirit. So if you claim to be a follower of Christ, it's an obedience issue. It's not optional. You are commanded to do this. When you're wronged, be so right that it rubs off on the other person. Now, I know that there's nothing that motivates people more than being told they have to do something. Can I just say the word masks and we all understand what I'm talking about? So that's why we need to be very careful because if I just stopped right there, this statement could be very cliche. It is an obedience issue, but we need to go even deeper. Responding right when you're wrong is an obedience issue and secondly, it's a heart issue. It is a heart issue. Notice that he says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Why, why doesn't he just say, don't persecute them back? Raise your hand this morning if you've ever been cut off in traffic. 
Raise your hand. Cut, you've been cut off by another driver in traffic, okay? Now, raise your hand if you sped up, ran them off the road, jumped out, and beat them up in the ditch. I'm not going to look. <laughs> if anybody is raising their hand, please make an appointment to see Pastor Kurt. <laughs> okay, so you didn't do that, but let me ask you something. How many of you mumbled or even thought, that driver's an idiot? Do you know what you just did? You cursed them in your heart. What Paul is calling us to do here is to go beyond the action and even get to what is in the heart. The heart response. We won't reread the text for time, but look at verses 15 through 17. Everything that is commanded in those verses goes beyond action and gets to the heart. Unity intentionally doing what is right, humility, not retaliating, giving thought, taking care, planning ahead to do what is right. That's a hard issue. And do you know why you have to do that? Why you have to do that and let this get into your heart is because in the moment that you're wronged, if this is not in your heart, your instinct will be to sin. When you are wronged, you will want to wrong back. When you are hurt, you will want to hurt back. This has got to get down into your heart. Verse 18 is a, is a hard but a helpful reality for us. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Paul is saying that the reality is even when we do what is right, even when we respond correctly, that is no guarantee of a favorable outcome. We can still be hurt and have conflict. This isn't original with me, but maybe you've heard it before. Even if you're only 2% of the conflict, be 100% responsible for your 2%. Have you heard that before? Even if you're only 2% of the problem, be 100% responsible for your 2%. And as a husband, I found out that usually I'm way more than 2% of the problem. I think it's closer to 92% on an average. Be responsible for what you can, as much as is possible. Verse 19 reminds me of an old hymn that many of you are probably very familiar with. Trust and obey. Do you know that one? Trust and obey. Verse 19 says, beloved, and he softens his tone here. He speaks and he says, beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Trust and obey. They go together. Paul has set a very high bar for us, and then he gently admonishes and encourages, don't avenge yourself, but trust, leave it to the wrath of God. For God sees, and God knows, and God will judge. Do you remember just a couple of weeks ago, Pastor John's sermon on hell? There will be a judgment day. There will be a judgment day. If I can read a quote for you here, it says, it is not our job to execute justice on evil people. That is God's prerogative. And he will visit his wrath on such people when he deems right to do so. 
And Christian, you know what we can be comforted with? God is never too harsh, and he is never too lenient. He is the perfect judge. For all who do wrong, for all who do wickedness, either a judgment day will come, or it has come when that payment was fulfilled on the cross of Christ our Savior. And aren't you thankful for that? To the contrary, verse 20, to the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. You will heap coals of fire on his head. Now, what is this about? Basically, there's, there's two ideas that people have taken away from this. Number one, if you're, if you're sinned against and you respond in, in kindness and you do not retaliate and they keep sinning against you, uh, some people interpret that and say, well, they're just, they're just heaping judgment on themselves. The second idea, which I probably lean a little bit more towards, is that when you respond right, when you respond with Christ-likeness when someone is wronging you, there is a great potential that it will soften them, that it will change them, and perhaps even just shame them into doing what is right. You know, nothing ruins when I've got a really good, bad attitude going, like my wife being nice to me. You know, I, I'm really a grump, and then she responds in kindness. Boy, that is so convicting. Feed them. Give them a drink. And my big idea comes from verse 21 right here. Do not be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. You know, you'd probably, okay, you'd definitely be better off if you just memorized verse 21 than even my little quote. Don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is where our big idea comes from. What should we do when we are wronged? This is what you do. You don't lose the wrong battle and win. You don't lose the right battle and win the wrong one. Don't lose the battle you should win and win the one that you should lose. A couple more quotes for you just to, just to make this clear. By responding to evil with good rather than more evil, we gain a victory over that evil. Not only have we allowed it, not allowed it to corrupt our own moral integrity, but we have displayed the character of Christ before a watching and skeptical world. By yielding, we are winning. Let me say this to you, and I hope, I hope you'll let this get into your minds. Vindictiveness will kill your gospel witness. Vindictiveness will kill your gospel witness. If you are a person who always has to, to settle the score, if you have to get back at them, if you have to make sure they, they know that they wronged you and hurt you, you are killing your credibility to share the gospel with those around you. Matthew Henry says it this way, the last verse suggests what is, easy, is not easily understood by the world, that in all strife and contention, listen to this, those who revenge are the conquered, and those who forgive are the conquerors. What do you do when you're wronged? By God's grace, be so right that it rubs off on the other person. Now, folks, none of this is, is just grin and bear it. None of this is just stiff upper lip, do the right thing cliches. For you to be obedient 
to these principles, and for you to do that from the heart requires a life that is changed by the grace of the gospel. And that's why the last point is all important. Responding right when you are wronged is a gospel issue. Responding right when you are wronged is a gospel issue. Loving your enemies, blessing those who persecute you, this is one of the most incredible and countercultural teachings of the New Testament. And it can only be accomplished in our lives through the power of the gospel itself. You cannot do this apart from the grace of God. And you cannot have the grace of God apart from a saving, sanctifying relationship with him. So do you have that this morning? Do you know for a fact that you have received into your life the forgiveness and the righteousness of Christ that is only available to you because of the work of Christ on the cross of Calvary? Have you come to the end of your self-effort and received the free gift of salvation that you might have eternal life? And if you have, are, are you daily living in that same grace? You are no more capable to live in Christ than you were to save yourself. We are desperate for daily grace. Only those who have been truly forgiven will know how to truly forgive. And the New Testament challenges us with this reality. If we do not forgive, we have not understood true forgiveness. So Christian, please always remember that whatever wrong you experience, whatever hurt you are facing, it is bigger than you because it's about God. Not only does that other person's sin violate his holiness and character more than it violates you, but God also says that you cannot forgive that person and move towards them as you, as you should, apart from his grace. Yes, the hurt that you are experiencing is very real. But please remember this. God is in and over your suffering. Please remember, Christian, that God is in and over your suffering. Charles Spurgeon said, it would be a very sharp and trying experience to me to think that I have a, an affliction which God never sent me, that the bitter cup was never filled by his hand, that my trials were never measured out by him, not sent to me by his arrangement of their weight and quantity. God is over your suffering. Even when you are suffering the sinful effects of other people's choices, you are still within the sphere of the sovereignty of God. Do you believe that? Remember that reality. Second, remember that Christ is fully and intimately aware of your struggle. Remember that Christ is fully and intimately aware of your struggle. Imagine with me this morning if I asked Pastor Jason to come up here on the stage, and, and he gets up here on the stage, and, and bam, I just punch him right in the face. Somebody's laughing about that over here. You might want to talk to them later, but... I think that, that if that did happen, you, you would probably just sit there in stunned silence. What in the world is going on? But imagine if I called up a, a small child, one of your little boys or one of your little girls, and I punched that child. There would be an outcry in this room. Am I right? 
Because we always respond stronger when we see who we perceive to be the innocent suffering. Folks, remember this morning that the greatest injustice that ever occurred was when the most innocent man who ever lived was wronged in the most horrific way. 2 Corinthians 5.21 describes it this way, that it was for our sake that God made him, that is Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus Christ, your Savior, is fully aware of what it feels like to be wronged when you don't deserve it. And finally, Christian, remember that you've been called to this. Remember that you have been called to this. God is in and over your suffering. Christ is fully aware of the struggle, and you have been called to this. 1 Peter 2 says, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he continued entrusting himself to the one who judges justly. Christian, if you're here this morning, I challenge you based on the authority of the word of God. When you are wronged by God's grace, be so right that it rubs off on the other person. This is not just a Christian cliche. This is a biblical truth that you are called to obey. And by God's grace, you can. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the challenge of this text. It is heavy and it is hard. But you have given us the grace of God. You have given us the power of the gospel that we might obey it. Heavenly Father, as we transition now even into this time of communion and the celebration of the Lord's Supper, it's very possible that there are individuals in this room who can quickly call to mind the names and the faces of those who have wronged or maybe even are currently sinning against them. Oh God, I pray that you would help them to do business with you even right now, that the elements of the Lord's table would be a, a strong reminder to them of all that Christ suffered on our behalf and that the hope and the glory of the gospel would enable them to go forward and to live in such a way that when they are wronged, by your grace, because of the gospel and for the gospel, they would be so right that it rubs off on them around them. I pray this in Jesus' name.